Thanks for listening to the Church at Severn Run Messages podcast. You can find more information about the church at severnrun.com. Enjoy the message. You are disconnected because of the snake that's in the garden of your heart. You say, so what is that? If I want to live a full capacity life, then don't I need to identify this snake? Don't I need to figure that out? Well, the answer to that is yes, but we're not going to unpack that till next week. You like how I did that, didn't you? We're not. We're not going to unpack that till next week because here's what I want you to sit with this week. What I want you to sit with this week is the fact that We've explored all of the outer things that we could claim that are our disconnections and they are not. And we need to take the time even this week as a church family, as followers of Jesus, to look at our lives and stop allowing everything else to be the blame for our disconnection. We need to take the time this week to start saying, hey, listen, you know what? I'm responsible. I don't know what the name of this thing is yet, but doggone it, here's what I do know is that I'm responsible. And then if I'm disconnected, then I'm obviously going to have to do something about the snake in the garden of my heart, which I don't know what it is yet, but I'm going to have to do something about that. And then when I do something about that, it's my responsibility to make connection happen. I want us to sit with that. And it was a cliffhanger. I mean, how many of you, you've just been on the edge of your seat all week long? You just, you couldn't wait. I mean, this was more intriguing than who shot JR. Those of you who just laugh revealed your age. Some of you, you don't look intrigued. You're sitting out there like, what? Guess what? I'm going to tell you anyways, even if you don't care. Um, James 1.14 gets us a whole lot closer. Gets us a whole lot closer to knowing who the snake in the garden of the heart is. Here's what it says. Temptation comes from our own. And if you've opened your Bibles or you've got your Bible app out or whatever it may be, do me a favor, find a way to circle and or highlight that word own. Our own. You. This is the statement that James is making that says that there's nobody else is responsible for your disconnection. There's nobody else responsible for all the wrong that's going on in your life, that there is no outside force that is causing this. The temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. We are the responsible ones when it comes to our connectivity. We are the responsible ones for whether or not we're connected with God and whether or not we are connected with others. It is no outside force. It is nothing else. The devil did not make you do it. That's not what James says. What it says is it's our own desires that cause this to transpire. Why? Why do we have these outside desires that cause us to be disconnected? Because we have this tendency to think that the problem is on the outside. And so if the problem is on the outside of our disconnect, if our problem with being disconnected is on the outside, then guess what? The solution must be on the outside also. 
that we can chase after other things and it will do away with the pain that we're feeling because it's an outside problem. James says it's not an outside problem. For me, in my life, I kind of believe that all of the anxiety that I was feeling, all the, the, the worry and the stress that I would oftentimes take on, all the busyness of my mind, I thought that was all an outside problem. I didn't understand the concept of be still and know that I am God. So I, was, I, I thought that all of the stresses that people were putting on me were the issue. And so therefore the solution must be to grab a drink, to go to the bottle. For others of us that are sitting out here, it may be that. It may be that we rush toward food. It may be that because we feel disconnected at home from our spouse that, hey, listen, that person at the office who keeps flirting with me, that person at the office who seems like they want to be connected, then that's my solution to the connectivity that I don't have at home. But what does James say? It is not... It is not anything that is on the outside. It is something that is on the inside. It is our own desire that keeps us away. So what is this desire? What is this snake that is in the garden of our heart? Well, I've come to know the snake by the name of ego. My ego is the desire, is the snake in the garden of my heart. Now, you're going to find a lot of definitions available of ego if you decide to go hunting it down. You're going to find that there's a whole lot of different theologians and psychologists that will expound upon this concept, and many of them will look and say there's negative aspects to the ego, there's positive aspects to the ego, and there's a lot of different definitions for the ego. But here's what I will tell you, as a redeemed follower of Jesus Christ, I have yet to find anything good about my ego. I really haven't. There's not much there in my ego that is actually helping me out. In fact, I've kind of identified the, the, my ego as what I would call the enemy within. It is the enemy that is in the garden of my heart. It is the one that is keeping me disconnected from others and keeping me disconnected from God. My ego does not want me to have a relationship with anybody else. It does not want me to believe that God has the best interest of my heart. And it spends a lot of time trying to convince me that he doesn't. It does not want me to believe that having a relationship with you would enrich my life. My ego... My ego wants me to believe that God will hurt me at the very first chance that he gets. And if you'll think about this conversation that Eve was having in the garden with the snake, what was it trying to convince her of? It was trying to convince her that God did not have her best interest at heart. My my ego does not want me to believe that God loves me, that God is for me. In fact... My ego will go as far as to say, John, this love of God thing, are you sure about that? 
Don't you know that if you really start to believe that God loves you, don't you know that if you really start to completely surrender yourself over to God, that if you give yourself fully to his love, don't you know that at that moment he's gonna test you? Don't you know that at that moment he's gonna crush you and see if you're for real? Those are the types of statements that my ego will make. It'll even go as far as to try to use scripture to prove it. It'll take me back to stories like, like, uh, like uh, Abraham and Isaac. And it'll remind me of what happened with Abraham. And it will look and it will say, hey, look, look at Abraham. Uh, God said he loved Abraham too. God called him out of his own country and told him there was going to be a promised land. There was going to be a new place. But John, as soon as Abraham stepped out, what did God ask him to do? He asked him to go and sacrifice his own son. See, that's what happens if you believe God loves you. That's, that's what God will do, John. God will crush you if you really believe he's for you. And he'll even like cause me to twist scripture. He won't remind me how the story actually ends. He won't remind me that God was showing Abraham a different way. Abraham had come from a country. He had come from a land where human sacrifice was kind of the way that you pleased the gods. And God was calling Abraham to something new. God was calling Abraham to say, hey, here you go. Abraham, I don't want you to kill your son. I provided a different way. I provided a different path. I provided a different opportunity. This story that my ego will use to prove to me that God does not love me, that he wants to trust me, is actually an amazing story that is saying, hey, listen, God loves you. And when he calls you out of something, he's calling you to something greater. But that's not what your ego wants you to believe. It wants you to believe that God doesn't have your best interest. And if God doesn't have your best interest, then surely it doesn't want you to trust anybody else, does it? Because the moment that I start to trust other people, the moment that I actually start to, to let the secrets of my heart, to let you have them, to let you see who I am, then what I say will, and will be used against me in a court of law. Am I correct? I mean, that's what we have come to know and what we've come to understand about opening up and and sharing. It will be used against you. Ladies and gentlemen, that might be the law of our land, but that is not the law of the kingdom. That That is not it. This is not what God intended. He did not intend for us to close ourselves off to one another. He looks at us in James and says, hey, confess your faults to one another and actually be healed. Quit judging each other for that and share your brokenness and find out that there's a great thing called healing that's available to you. But the ego says, no, don't do that. The moment that you start to trust that person, they're going to betray you. They're going to hurt you. Just stay by yourself. Stay isolated. Stay lonely. And it even works its way into our marriages, doesn't it? The amount of things that we don't share, that we don't tell the person that we've chosen to live our life in intimacy with. It's scary. Because I'm afraid if I tell them this, then they'll use it against me. And that's the saying of the ego. 
trying to keep you distant, even with the individual that you should be the absolute closest to. Our ego doesn't want us to trust. Our ego wants to keep us exactly where we are. And doesn't this sound a whole lot like the snake that was in the garden? Doesn't this sound like similar conversation that was taking place with Eve? And doesn't this sound a whole lot like something that we were talking about just a few weeks ago, which was fear? Doesn't this sound a whole lot like fear? Because you know what the number one tool of the ego is? The number one tool of the ego is fear. In fact, it's the only, it's the only tool of the ego. It keeps fear locked away, and the moment that you try to become anything different, the moment that you try to become anything new, the moment that you try to progress and and become more in the true self that God has made you to be, then guess what you do? Fear introduces itself, and you shrink back because it is the thing that the ego uses. If the enemy within can freeze you with fear, then it has accomplished its goal, which is to keep you from living a full capacity life. If the ego, if the enemy within can keep you from believing that you're talented, then guess what? You won't create. And sitting in this audience right now are books that haven't been written, poetry that hasn't been written, songs that haven't been written, art that hasn't been done things that God has placed in you in order to be able to glorify him and his creation. And guess what? They're not being done because in some way you've set back all of your life and you've said, I'm not, I'm not talented enough. And so the creative power that he has put inside of you is locked away because of your ego. You won't believe that you're skilled and you don't believe that you're skilled enough. So you won't actually build anything. You look at the industry that you're currently involved in and you're thinking to yourself, man, if, if I was a leader in this industry, this is what I would do to change it, but you're too scared to go out there. You're too scared to launch that business. You're too scared because you look and you say, hey, listen, I'm not skilled enough. And so as a result, there's something that God has put inside of you to build and you're not building it. You won't believe that you're beautiful. So as a result, you won't smile. Man, if you don't think this is true, I would say go to the mall. Like all of marketing is built off of this concept, right? This, this entire concept of if you'll wear this, if you'll look like this, then you're beautiful. But yesterday I was in the mall because I was trying to be beautiful for you all today. And while I, while I was walking around in the mall trying to like get my beauty on, here's what's going on. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm walking past all these people with all of these bags of stuff that they're going to put on that's going to cause them to be beautiful. And there ain't one of them that's smiling. It's because fear says, hey, listen, you're not beautiful, so you don't smile. You won't believe that you're strong enough, so you won't lift up somebody else's burden. You won't believe that you're courageous, so you won't change another person's world. You won't believe that you have enough resource, so you won't give. You won't believe that you're powerful enough, 
So as a result of not believing you're powerful enough, you won't show mercy to somebody else. You won't believe, and this is the most tragic one of all, you won't believe you're loved. And as a result of not believing that you're loved, you will never fully, passionately, with total abandon, experience what love really feels like. Because you don't believe you're loved, you'll really never love another in the way that you were designed to love another. And here's the thing. All of this, everything that I just described, everything that every one of us has felt inside of the human experience, do you know where this comes from? This comes from ego, the enemy within, our own desires. It's us. You say, this isn't ever the way that I thought about ego. The way that I always thought about, the way that I always think about ego is bravado, right? That kind of person that's over the top, that person that's, you know, like way more confident than what they should be. That's the way that I've always thought about ego. No, let me tell you something. Ego, that's just one way that it shows it, itself. Well, just one way that ego shows itself is, is through bravado. You know, the people that you meet and the people that you meet and, and within like two minutes, you know their entire resume. Some of you are laughing because you know it. And then some of you are like, ouch. Because you're like, I'm one of those people. You know, I, I, I've been one of those people for a lot of my life. Hey, let me tell you your resume. Nobody cares. Only your ego cares. Very seldom, seriously. I mean, you show me. I'm not kidding. Like, show me in Scripture where Jesus ever walks into a room and says, Hey, by the way, I'm the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You don't see that happen. It's ego. Ego shows up in in bravado, and it shows up in all the ways that I just listed. But it keeps us from moving forward. It keeps us, it, it causes us to abandon a full capacity life because it wants us to stay exactly where we are. Ego is always talking about what it's done in the past or what's happened to it in the past because it's afraid of marching into the amazing future that God has prepared. 2 Timothy 2.7 tells us that this is, not, this is not how God designed us to be. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. In fact, we need to let that sink in. So I'm going to ask you to just join me with saying it this morning. For God has not given us. A spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. The ability to take action on the passion that he's placed in our heart. That's what God has made you for. That's That's what God wants you to be able to accomplish. That's what full capacity life really looks like. Now, if you don't mind, guys, I'm just going to take a moment to kind of speculate, okay? I'm not going to claim that everything that I'm about to say to you is like 100% true or that I can even back it up with Scripture. I'm just going to speculate for just a second, but I don't think I'm too far off. And here's what I want to speculate on. 
Well, this part I'm not speculating on. We're all going to die. I, got, I, I just got an amen out of that. I'm a little, it's, it's good. It's good. Uh, but it's true. I think, that's why, I think that's why there was an amen. It's because it's true, right? Uh, we're all going to die. It's going to happen. That's not speculation. None of us are getting out of this life. Every once in a while, I just take the time to think about that. I really do. I just take the time to think about that there's going to come an end to my life. I don't try to spend a whole lot of time thinking about the way that that might come. That can get pretty depressing. But the fact that it will come, I do try to spend a little bit of time considering. And then the scriptures do, does say this. This is a fact that it's appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment. That's the part I want to speculate on for just a second. Because I've heard a whole lot of people that have gotten up and have preached a whole lot of different ideas about what the judgment is. And the large majority of them are just ideas because the scripture doesn't go into a ton of detail as to what this judgment is going to consist of. Most of the time, the way that I've heard it preached is that in some way, shape, or form, it's going to be this long analysis of all the good and or the bad that you did. It looks a whole lot like the American judicial system. And now you're going to be judged. Here's the good things you did. Here's the bad things you did. And, you know, there you go. Now, maybe that's how it goes down. I don't know. But in some ways, I don't necessarily think that that's completely consistent with a God that is love and with a God who is most concerned about relationship and the maximization of relationship in this life. So here's my speculation. That one of the ways that that's gonna, one of the things that's gonna happen to me on the day that I meet my Lord and Savior and I face this thing called judgment, it's probably not gonna be just this long list of, of saying things like, hey, John, on May the 16th of 2017, um, you got drunk. I don't think that's how it's gonna go down. I think it's gonna go down more like, Hey, John, on May the 16th of 2017, the day before you went to rehab, you got drunk. But that's not the, really the thing I've got a huge problem with. Here's the thing that I want you to think about. Not that you decided to have the all-out party the night before, because every addict does that. It's a true story. But rather, what I want you to think about is because you decided to do that party that night before... And have your little fun. You had a wife and you had a kids that were scared to death because their dad was about to be gone for 28 days. They were scared. They didn't know for sure everything that was going on. They were wondering, hey, is dad going to get better? They felt lonely. And they felt abandoned because you were in the back room having your beer. John, that's where the problem was. I have a tendency to think that the judgment's going to be a whole lot about the relationships. It's going to be about how we made other people feel. Not per se what we quote unquote did, because that's really, that's a lot of religion. So that's kind of the negative part. The positive part, 
The other part kind of of, of the judgment that I think is going to be really revealing is at some stage in all this, I think God is not going to necessarily do this like massive crazy review of all the do's and the don'ts of your life, but he's going to like put on display for just a moment what life might have looked like if. Here's what life might have looked like had you lived with love. Here's what your life might have looked like had you lived with joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and with faith, believing big and with self-control. That is what your life would have been. What your life would have looked like had you not been timid and had you believed that you had the power and the love and had you had the self-discipline to get up out of the bed every morning and to take it on to its fullest, not being afraid of anything, there was the life you could have had. Full capacity living. That'll be scary, huh? If my speculation turns out to be true, what we could be living, what we could be enjoying, what this could be in our futures. Can you imagine? So if ego is the problem that's keeping us away from this full capacity life, from all of these possibilities, then how do we know when the ego shows up? How are we aware of it? How can we see it? Because it oftentimes comes disguised and it oftentimes comes in the shadows. So how do we know when it's there? It disguised itself in the garden, didn't it? How do we know? Well, here's what I want you to do. Get your piece of paper, get your phone, do whatever. I'm about to give you three questions. Three questions that I guarantee you, if you will put these into action in your life, These questions, seriously, they will radically change your life and your ego will have to be revealed and it's gonna change everything. These are three questions that I've been working with in my own life for about the last two years during my own personal recovery. And here's the interesting thing about it. The first few months of working with these questions, I had to ask myself these questions 40, 50, 60, 100 times a day. That is no joke. Because my ego was so hidden in the shadows of my soul, in, the, in, in my heart, that I could not see all the different ways that it had disguised itself. So almost every single situation that came up, I had to start asking myself these three questions. Almost every encounter that I had with another human being, I had to start asking myself these three questions to be able to see where my ego was. Over time, it's become easier to spot it much sooner. And I don't have to ask myself those questions as much, but these three questions will radically change your life. In fact, I dare to say, had Eve asked herself these three questions, we'd all be retired right now. Number one, and let me just review to you what's happening in the garden. Genesis 3, 4, you won't die The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened and as soon as you eat it, you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Number one, do I own it? Do I own it? 
That's the question that's, that Eve is having to decide right now in this moment. God has looked and said, everything else in the garden is free reign. Enjoy it. Have fun with it. It's all yours except for one thing. There's one thing I don't want you to touch. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Eve is up against the battle right now of do I own it? Is that mine? Can I go ahead and reach out and grab it and take it? Think about how many fights that you have at work because you act like you are the owner of the business when you're not. Think about how many fights happen at church because people act like they're the owner of the church of the living God when they're not. Think about the fights that you have at home when you act like you own the TV and you don't. But you're like, I do. I do own the TV. At least if I don't own the TV, men, we own the remote control, don't we? I'll let you deal with that one at home. Do I own it? And if I don't own it, leave it alone. Number two, do I control it? Eve is having to try to figure out that in this moment. God has given her the truth. God has given her a certain, a simple command. Here's what I want you to do. I, I just don't want you to, I don't want you to, to think you own it because if you think you own it, then you will surely die. Eve is having to decide right now, do I control the truth or does God? Who controls the truth here? Am I in charge of the truth or is God in charge of the truth? Think of how many fights happen in your life because of that question. Because, hey, you know, you say, hey, I, I, I don't own it. But boy, you sure do like to throw that whole like I'm the manager, I'm the boss thing around, don't you? You know, it's Michael at the office with uh, the I'm the boss cup. I've got two office fans in here too. Really? We got to get more millennials in the house. That's all I'm saying. Here, here's the whole deal, folks. Listen, we think that we're in charge. Are you? Think of how much in life that you've actually been given to be in charge over. And then finally, number three, do I want credit for it? Now, the first two have already taken me down. This one just beats me. Do I want credit for it? The answer for me is always yes. Yes, here's the deal. My uh, love language is words of affirmation. Ask my wife. She cannot tell me how amazing I am enough. She cannot tell me enough just how wonderful, perfect, charming that I am. By the way, she is the best thing that ever happened to my ego. But um, do I want credit for it? Absolutely, I want credit for it. I'll, cre- I'll take credit for what you did too. Let's do this thing. <laughs> do I own it? Do I control it? Do I want credit for it? How different would our world be? How different would our world be if everybody would take the time to ask themselves that question? If all of a sudden everybody in the world would quit trying to own what they don't own, quit trying to control what they don't control, and quit trying to take credit for what they don't need to take credit for, how different would our world be? That sounds like a world I want to live in. How about you? Well, the scripture tells me the kingdom has come. And it's time for those of us who are Jesus followers to let our egos go and start living that way to say enough with it. 
So when I see that my ego is at play, when I ask myself these three questions and say, hey, it's popping up, what do we do? How do we reduce the power of our ego? How do we keep it away? Well, number one, we expose it. We expose it. The ego loves to live in the shadows. It loves to keep itself in disguise. And so the more often that we're able to look and say, that's my ego, imagine this. You're in the middle of the fight with your spouse. The next fight that you have with your spouse, suddenly you ask yourself these three questions. One of those comes up to be true that you are, in fact, trying to own the TV when it's not yours. And you look and you say, sweetheart, I'm sorry, that's my ego. No, no, there's not one amen, really. <laughs> there's, not, there's not one person that might think that that's going to make for a better marriage in here. Huh? The, the fact that there's not an amen proves what your ego wants to do to you. Because it's your ego that's, that's keeping you from saying, yeah, that's true. Imagine the difference the world is. You've got to expose your ego for what it is. You've got to just say, hey, this is what, this is my ego going on. There was a, a lady that I was listening to speak not too long ago, and she was up in front of a very large audience. And as she was talking to this audience, she was telling this amazing story about herself. And when she got about halfway through the story, she just stopped. And she said, you know what? She goes, I'm sorry. Like, I've honestly got to apologize to you guys. I'm, say, I'm up here and I'm telling you this story and I have just embellished a large part of it to make myself look good to you. Can you imagine? Wow. Who does that? I'll tell you, I don't remember what she said before that. I remember everything she said after that because you don't see people do that, do you? She was just honest. Her ego came up and she challenged it. She said, no, there it is. That's my ego. Thank you. I recognize it. Just expose it for what it is. Then live in the belief of God's love. I hope that you took the time this week to practice what I encouraged you to practice last week. Just taking some time to sit and to be quiet, to be still and know that he is God. Not to just open your Bible, not to do more active prayer, but just to sit and be still and know that he is God. And to breathe and to say to yourself, God loves me. God loves me. God loves me until it has come to be a part of every part of your being. Your ego cannot hang out in the love of God. It wants to run from that. It wants to stay as far away from the love of God as it possibly can because love and fear cannot mix. Those two things cannot go together. It is the difference between light and dark. It is not possible for them both to exist in the same space. So sit and believe that God loves you. And ego dies. And then the third thing is to keep walking to discover your true self. Not your egotistical self the true self that God has created you to be. 
Not the one that mom and dad said that you are, not the one that the ego and fear is trying to keep you to, not the one that anybody else has declared about you, but the person that God has created you to be. You've got to keep walking toward that. You've got to keep going toward that until you fully discovered all of its realities. For me, early on in my recovery experience, I was walking through the 12 steps and kind of one of the challenges that I was given is every night when you lay your head down on the pillow, evaluate your day. That's become an incredible practice in my life, just to evaluate my day. How many of you, you do that every once in a while? You lay your head down on the pillow, you just kind of evaluate, hey, how was the day? I don't know if you have any particular standard that you do that by, but when I would like lay down on, on my pillow at night, I would start, kind of start to, to evaluate my day based off of, hey, is there anybody I need to go back tomorrow and say I'm sorry to? What did I get done today? And, and it was really, again, just this kind of list of I did this good and I did this bad. And I would find myself at the end of the day, you know, waking up in the next morning and saying, it wasn't really exciting me to say, I wasn't getting motivated by, hey, listen, this day is just good or it's bad based off of whether I did more good things or bad things. In fact, I was starting to feel like I was falling into a lot of my old, very religious patterns. And I started saying, God, I, I need something new. I, I, I need something I need something that I can really evaluate my day by. And so I took the time to sit with that. I took the time to like listen to what God was saying to me. And I recognized that I shouldn't be evaluating my, my day by all the stuff that I got done or I didn't do, which is where most of us live our lives, isn't it? By all the stuff we did or we didn't do. But rather, I should start evaluating myself for who God had called me to be. Because that looks a whole lot like the, more the way that Jesus lived. Jesus didn't get up every day and like with this list of to-dos and say, this is what I got to get accomplished today. Jesus kind of like walked through life and he impacted the people that he impacted, whoever he came across. And so be, because of who he was. And so I started to say to myself, how do I evaluate myself like that? And God gave me three words. He said, John, he said, you know... This is you. Number one, love. Number one, to lay my head down on the pillow every night and to think back over my day and say, everybody that I encountered today, no matter who it was, including the person that cut me off on 695, it doesn't matter who it was. Did I display love to them? Was I loved to them? Did they feel more loved because I was around them? Did they get a smile from me even though they were not nice? Did I love them well? And I began to evaluate my day based off of that. Then second thing is I began to evaluate my day based off of uh, what did I create today? What did I leave in God's great universe that will now exist and would not have existed had I not been here? Had I not lived this day, that would not be there. Sometimes that was just as simple as a, as a sentence or two in something that I was writing. Sometimes it's a picture that I was able to create on my phone. Other times it's you know, something that I said to somebody, but what is, it that I, what is it that I've created? If I didn't create something today, then that's not really part of who I really am because God made me a creative person. 
I love to express, express myself through creativity. And then finally, I begin to think, who did I inspire today? Did everybody that I come across, did in some way, shape, or form, did they take a step toward their true self because they were around me? Did, did, I, look at my, did I look at my boy up in the tree and I, did I say to him, hey, listen, you know what? Hey, you're getting a little, you need to come down. You're, you're, you're scaring me. Or did I say, you know what? I think you can make it one branch higher, but be careful. And I'll come down over here just in case. Which way did I go? Did I teach my boy to climb mountains? Or did I teach him to shrink back? Did I inspire my children? Did I inspire my wife to be who God's called her to be? Did I inspire staff and other people? Did I inspire somebody today? Did I inspire everybody I came across today? I began to lay my head down on the pillow at night, and when I would wake up in the morning, then I suddenly had passion, because that's a good reason to live a day. Not based off of what I got done or what I didn't do, but based off of who I know God has made me from the inside out, without the ego. But God, this is who I know I am. This is what I know you've created. Here's the thing. I now, in order to help inspire people, when I'm having coffee with you, when we're having breakfast, lunch, whatever it may be, this is one of the questions I love to ask people. What are, what are your three words? They're different than mine. Many of you, we're not all created the same. If that was the case, it'd be really boring. But not ans not, don't answer those questions based off of what you do. Answer those questions based off of who you are. Sit with it. Discover it. Start to evaluate yourself by it. Move away from your ego and towards your true self. God, who have you created me to be? I was telling Dr. Drew about this. I was telling him about my three words. And he said, John, he goes, it, it reminds me of something. He said, it reminds me of something scripture says. In Revelations 2.17, it says this, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, to everyone who has lived the full capacity life, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. Say, what is that? I don't know. Probably tastes good though. I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven, and I will give to each one a white stone. A white stone. And on that stone will be engraved a new name. A new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. He's telling Dr. Drew about these three words, and he said, Johnny, it sounds to me like you're trying to move toward that name. The name that's on that stone that you're going to receive that only you will understand, that is the name of your true self. It is not the name that your mom and dad gave you. It's not Bill or Sally or Sue. It is God's name for you. And when I look at this verse, I think to myself, you know what I want to spend my life doing? I want to spend my life moving toward that name. Here's what I want to do. I want to get to heaven someday having lived a full capacity life. 
that I want to look at that stone when God hands it to me with my name engraved on it, a name that nobody else has like John Smith. When that happens, I want to look at that stone and I want to say, I knew it. I knew it. I felt it deep within me. I knew that that was my name. I did it. I lived a full capacity life. Can I tell you something? It's what God wants for you too. Here's what our response time is going to be today. It's going to be a step away from our egos. It's going to be a step toward full capacity. As they get ready to sing in the next moment, I want you to get up out of your seats. I want you to come down here, right here on the stage are tons of these white stones. I want you to come down. I want you to pick one up. I want you to take it back to your seat. And in the middle of this song, I want you to pray, God, reveal to me who I am in you. Help me to walk away from my ego. Help me to become what it is that you called me to become. Help me to live a full capacity life. Can you imagine what God does with a church of 1,100 people living at full capacity? Ladies and gentlemen, at that point, our world just became a different place to live in. Take the step towards your true self. In Jesus' name, amen. If you enjoyed today's message, feel free to share it with your friends. As we like to say, love well, live Jesus, and believe big.